Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to marketing strategies to regulatory pressures. Cooking inspiration and education are emerging as powerful marketing tools for food and beverage brands and retailers as consumers who are tired of preparing the same old, same old at home for the past seven months of the pandemic look for new recipes, techniques, and ingredients to mix up their at-home menus. But creating on-trend recipes with readily available ingredients and then leveraging them across media platforms and formats to drive sales to specific stores or for specific products can be a tall order, especially at a time when many retailers and brands are scaling back marketing budgets to offset unexpected coronavirus-related costs. It can be done, though, with the right tools, according to Nick Holzer, the head of the Samsung Next Food technology platform, Whisk. He explains in this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast how the pandemic is reshaping consumers' approach to cooking, their path to purchase and product discovery, and also how Whisk's new recipe content management platform can help brands and retailers maximize the impact of recipes to drive repeat customer engagement and loyalty without maxing out their budgets. Before the coronavirus outbreak hit, just under half of Americans' food budgets went to food consumed at home. And according to Holzer, most people would rotate through the same nine or maybe 10 recipes week after week. Once the pandemic was declared though, the vast majority of food dollars shifted to retail and consumers suddenly needed a much larger recipe repertoire and began looking for cooking inspiration and education across social media and other platforms. Generally, consumers are um, cooking now um, more than they have ever before and are interested in in, in cooking. Um, They're also spending more time online than they were before, um, uh, maybe because of being confined to to, uh, staying indoors um, uh, for, for a lot of people around the world. Um, and if you look at the kind of content that these people that, that, that users are engaging with when they're online, uh, on some of the, the key platforms, it's actually food content. So for on, on Instagram, for example, um, uh, about 43% of users um, uh, in one of the surveys were looking at food and drink content as a key interest. Um, if you look at Pinterest, um, I believe it's about 25%. Um, I think it's the actual number 24% um, of, of content is food focused. So these people are spending more time online. The, 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 the content they're looking at when they go to these online sites often is food. And generally consumers are cooking more now than they have before. Um, and with that, you know, without, without the option of going out to uh, restaurants to eat as much as they maybe were able to do before or, or, or maybe can't do that at all anymore, um, uh, people are looking for more adventurous recipes to try out um, and ultimately want to become better um, at cooking, so try new things. And actually, what's what's also really interesting with that is how how different that is to some of the survey data that we had before the pandemic. Where you know before the survey, uh, be- before the pandemic, a lot of the users were you know, reporting uh, they they were cooking the same stuff, the same six to nine recipes on repeat. Um, so really, you know, yes, looking at recipes here and there to go and, you know, maybe at the weekend to go make something exciting, but most of the time making the same stuff again and again and again. And actually that was a real pain for them 
um, because they're getting bored of, of this rut of cooking the same stuff. And actually that looks like it, you know, it definitely changed during the pandemic. Um, it looks like some of that has also um, stayed with us post pandemic. As illustrated by data from WISC's suite of AI-powered food technology, Holzer said not only were consumer interests in new recipes up, but they were actually acting on them, leading them to buy more ingredients and diverse baskets. Over this pandemic period, we, we really saw a massive increase on how many impressions these recipe sites that we integrate are getting. And so it's about a 25% increase across our network. And our network is you know, in the US, UK, across Europe, and some other countries around the world as well. We also saw a much higher propensity um, within, within the users to actually act on that content. So we saw people, recipe saving was uh, about 5.2 times higher. And um, so people um, uh, wish to save a recipe from after looking at it. Um, viewing um, was obviously higher as, uh, as well. Um, and, and then you, we saw that not only were people looking to um, save recipes more, they're also creating larger shopping lists. So sh- ultimately shopping uh, for, for more of them. Um, uh, some of the kind of numbers, um, we, we had uh, 15 items is the average number of uh, items a user adds to their shopping list um, before the pandemic. And after the pandemic, it was uh, 20 items, which is like a, a 33% increase. At the same time, consumers in mass embraced online shopping, which dramatically disrupted the product discovery process, pushing brands and retailers to look for new ways to create brand awareness and loyalty before consumers visited a store online. The pandemic sh- uh, sort of shone a massive spotlight on, on it, um, which is, you know, brands... Um, in the you know, 10 years ago um, or in the offline in-store uh, kind of experience are essentially on a shelf where a user is able to scan the shelf and see the, 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 the product, find the product that they're looking for and like compare lots of different products at the same time. In an online environment, it's very different um, what that looks like. You essentially get you know, a, a page one um, on, on a grocery site um, and let's say look above the fold and maybe you've got nine, uh, maybe 12 products there. And if you actually look at those sites, it's amazing to look, to see how many of them are now sponsored products. So essentially it's you know, the likes of Amazon or, or Walmart or, or, or every other player um, um, to showing you or having brands pay for um, spots within their experience. And really um, this, 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 this similar kind of trend you know, is, is true for other players in the space and not just brands, it's also a problem for, for, for others like you know, grocery retailers. Um, uh, who are trying to appear on Instacart and, 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 and play a similar to that. Um, what's interesting is in this different um, kind of uh, uh, way of working in the online space, brands are really having to think, how do I, how do I reach my customer um, in, in this new space? Um, and, and a lot of them are you know, considering things like direct consumer. Um, a lot of them are looking to uh, how can they build relationships relationships with consumers and to influence purchase decisions before they get to the retailer so that they're not relying on the user to type in the generic term for the product, but are actually typing in the branded product. So for example, rather than type in eggs, typing in uh, a specific brand of eggs, um, uh, the the, the kind of how can they get to the, build a relationship with with the consumer so once they go to the online grocery store, they actually do end up buying the brand product. So it is changing a lot. Um, uh, I think the whole kind of grocery um, space and, and how these brands um, are thinking about how to reach consumers um, is totally new. 
According to Holzer, this is where consumers' need for recipes become an effective tool for brands and retailers to drive awareness and trial. It's also where WISC comes into play. One of the key areas that we um, work with brands on is helping them create great recipe experiences, digital experiences with recipes that um, allow them to build strong relationships with um, consumers. Now, um, often, you know, if you start with the why recipes, um, it's amazing how recipes can drive action in consumers and take examples from way back in uh, 1998, um, uh, Delia Smith, uh, the famous UK cook, um, did a whole TV series on um, eggs. And for weeks after, all the retailers were sold out of eggs um, because of the rise in popularity um, that this drove. Um, much more recently, Alison Roman's book in the US is something similar, I, I understand, with cannellini beans and preserved lemons were sold out after she released her new book, which included those heavily in some of the um, ingredients. So recipes drive action and purchase action um, in store um, and online. Um, when brands are managing all this recipe content, they, um, the challenges they often come sort of, uh, bump into are recipe content is spread across lots of different places. It's in PDFs, it's, in, it's on some websites, often on different websites, um, it's in some uh, Word documents um, uh, in some kind of repository somewhere in the business, and none of this content is in one place. It's all structured in different, in different ways. It's all got different levels of, uh, of, of quality and enrichment um, in terms of like you know, cuisine tags or course tags or nutritional information that's added onto it. So what we have is a, a recipe content um, management platform, which basically allows a brand to pull all this content into one place very easily, import it, um, uh, enrich it, so structure it and optimize that content in one single um, uh, place. Uh, and most of it's powered using machine learning. So it happens automatically without the brand doing anything. And then it basically leaves the brand um, to, to build a, a great experience on top of the content. And we have a bunch of different software development tools that sit in the platform where these large brands can build, or even uh, small and medium brands or anybody ultimately can build great experiences on top of their recipe content. Um, where before it wasn't something that would be a much bigger endeavor um, uh, and certainly more costly. To make the most of recipes as sales and engagement drivers, Holzer says they need to be personalized and easy to act on. The key word that comes up again and again and again is personalization. So different users have very diverse um, uh, um, desires for, for, for content, for food content. And um, you know, whether that is they have a certain allergy or, or health restriction, or whether it's the fact that they just dislike mushrooms or, or, or any other ingredient, um, uh, it's amazing how many people um, have some kind of requirement to automatically filter recipes by things that you know might remove 50 or 75 percent of recipes and then on top of that you've got obviously preferences for just what they like the taste of um, so if you have well-structured content well-structured um, uh, um, uh, you know, um, pl a platform to build on top of personalization becomes really easy for you um, the, the other thing is, once you've actually got a customer um, who's found a, re you know, a recipe or, an ex or, or is on part of your experience and they want to act, make sure that the, the, the user is able to act quickly and easily from that point to actually buy. So something that we do with our shopping platform, um, which connects into all the different retailers and has a, ultimately provides a seamless experience from going from 
finding a recipe and going, yes, I want to make this, to actually allowing you to buy the ingredients at the grocery store and connecting you through to that store with all the right product selections. So while not as sexy as trendy ingredients and beautiful pictures, recipes must be well-structured with different tags and information on the page that will help search engines find the content and display it appropriately to consumers searching for it. It actually sounds basic, but it's surprising how many times I see really, really big brands and retailers publish a recipe with no metadata, no data included on it, or publish it in kind of an image, which is kind of the worst case scenario, which means that you know, no consumer is going to find it via a search engine. Um, uh, and I've seen some publishers who have done this well, have literally focused on creating great data and, and tags and information about their recipes and put it on the page um, and have beaten other, you know, have won against other very, very large name publishers and have become some of the top publishers in the world in a matter of six, 12 months. So if you do this well, um, you can win big from it. If you don't do it and do it the opposite, um, you'll end up building, spending a lot of time building an experience and no one will come and visit it. So if you're looking at building recipe content, it's, in, it's important to have it structured in one of the micro formats that, that all the big search engines um, understand. So for example, uh, one of them is called HRecipe. Um, gets a little bit technical, but basically what it does, it just specifies what is the title, what is every single ingredient, what is the um, uh, recipe instruction portion of it, um, et cetera. And then that's kind of the basics and you wanna make sure that is working well. Once you've got that, you want to make sure that you've got um, it tagged in, with as much um, useful information as you possibly can. Um, for example, you want to have all the different cuisines. Um, it, 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 it is, it, maybe it's just one. Uh, you want to know, want to know what course it is. So you want to be able to tag it with, you know, lunch, breakfast, dinner. Um, you want to be able to ideally also tag it for events that it might apply to. So, for example, this might be an Easter um, or a, a summer, or um, it could be, uh, you know, um, sausage week or whatever it happens to be. You can basically tag it with what it applies to. If you have more data, which I would strongly recommend around nutrition, um, you want to have the nutritional information of, of the recipe on there, and that will then automatically give you a bunch of other tags. Like, for example, is this diabetic friendly, or is this low salt or sugar free, or whatever it happens to be. Um, so the more you can tag the content with this kind of information, um, you're able to build experiences on top of that. Because that means, for example, if you're building a, a meal planner, and you want to be able to say, I want you know, a lunch recipe, you can automatically pull those up. Or I want a lunch healthy recipe under this number of calories, you can automatically filter your content. That's one reason you want it. But the other reason is that you can start to structure your experience in a way that Google will basically surface, and the other search engines obviously, and will surface your, your, your content at the right, when a user is searching for those things. While the pandemic may have accelerated adoption of online grocery shopping, most consumers still buy in store. Even those who favor online still do visit a brick and mortar at least occasionally. As such, Holzer reminds brands and retailers not to forget about the offline shoppers and to take an omni-channel approach when leveraging recipes. It's super important to take into account the omni-channel experience. I think if you look at the e-commerce flow, it's very easy to be attracted by you know, the fact that a user can click a button and quickly go to purchase or um, the fact that the space is growing so fast um, or maybe that you get a better margin if someone buys through that channel. But um, you know, while the growth numbers are super impressive, I think it's really important not to forget 
the fact that the majority of customers, um, the, usually the large majority of customers, is still buying things in store. So um, uh, that's one really important thing. The other thing important that's important is is look at the number of stores that your audience is purchasing at. So um, you know, the average is about 4.3. Um, so they're not usually buying from just one store. So an online an online journey that goes with one store and um, uh, is only online um, you know, will get a, a fraction of the potential audience that you actually want to reach. Um, some of the you know, sort of numbers that I've run um, with our platform, if you look at just online conversions or just an online purchase integration, you're looking at something uh, and, and compare it to an offline omni-channel experience, which, which we offer, um, you're looking at something like a 15x improvement by taking the om omni-channel pass versus the non-omni-channel kind of uh, experience. We have a um, omni-channel pass to purchase solution. So we do integrate all the online grocery stores and we you know, are constantly adding new retail stores. We have something like 45 retail stores live. Um, the, but the offline part, we have a, a grocery shopping list, um, which is available as an app. It's available um, as a voice assistant. Um, it, you can email it, you can text it. Um, it's, it's on web, iOS, Android, across all the different platforms where users um, want to uh, uh, add things to their shopping list and act on their shopping list. Now, the reason it's important to be on so many different platforms is because people do uh, uh, sort of, um, uh, add, interact with the platform at lots of different times in their life. So they don't just do it when they're sat on a computer or sat in front of their phone. They do it while you know, at work, they do it um, while they're on their commute, they do it um, while they're in the kitchen and talking to someone else. They, need it, they want it available in all these different places. Um, and also the other reason is um, if you look at families, 75% um, uh, of grocery shoppers collaborate on, in the process of creating their shopping list and doing the grocery um, uh, shop. So, and, and, and often referred to as the, the shared shopper or the collaborative shopper. Um, so you need a solution that actually helps um, the, 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 someone doing a, a, an in-store shop collaborate with others on, on doing that. Um, so our, our plan, what we've built is a, uh, a shopping list and recipe box experience, which sits on lots of different places, has collaboration built in. Um, uh, you know, and, and it, we think deeply about how we make it perfect for that. So if a user wants to go and shop a recipe in store, they can quickly send it to our um, series of apps and, and use our apps to do that. And, and we can track that through. If they want to do it online, we have all the integrations to different grocery stores. As we've covered, recipes are a powerful tool to drive consumer engagement, brand awareness, and sales. But they're only as effective as they are discoverable, on target or personalized, and easy to act on all of which Whisk can help brands and retailers of all sizes manage with its recipe content platform, which is available as a tiered subscription model. If you're interested, you can learn more at www.wisk.com slash recipe content platform. And with that, we've reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope you'll join me again next week for another installment. And to ensure that you remember... I encourage you to subscribe to us. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week. <music>